Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he'd like to talk to you about dinosaurs, it's Arturo Zurita. Halfway through the year, theaters are open. You could say it's different than it was last year, but also it, kind of the same, <laughs> it feels, yeah. you know? <laughs> So we're in 2021, but yeah, some people you know, still feel we're in 2020. It, it still feels like most of the movie th- movie experiences I've had have been at home, and it hasn't been like a whole lot of major motion pictures yet. But I think mm-hmm. I think we're starting to get there. You know, maybe in the the second half of the year we'll get more of them. Uh, we also got someone who kind of reminds me of this YouTube video I saw of a screaming gibbon monkey. It's Amanda the Jedi. What's up? Thanks as always for having me back to this yearly tradition. Of course, yeah. A few years running mm-hmm. now here on Intercut where we uh, get together halfway through the year and talk about the best of so far. It's always interesting also to compare these halfway lists with uh, what we get by the end of the year. And as I was sort of saying, I feel like these halfway lists are going to change a lot because even though a lot of the big 2020 movies got delayed into 2021... I feel like we still haven't seen a lot of those movies that have been delayed. Yeah, we got Black Widow and Fast 9 and A Quiet Place 2. But, uh, you know, in the fall, we're going to finally get our Dunes and we're going to get our French Dispatches and a whole bunch of exciting stuff. Uh, But there's still a lot of interesting things that have come out so far this year. Uh, Any thoughts on the 2021 film slate so far and uh, the movies that we had six months into the year. Amanda, you want to kick us off? Yeah. uh, Oddly enough, I think most of my favorite movies were things that I've seen at film festivals before this year Mm -hmm. or uh, just some like weird outliers, I suppose, or like, yeah, my top one movie I saw last year, thanks to a screener link. Otherwise I wouldn't have been able to see it until this year. Uh, but it's obviously been a bit of a rough year because like this is where we're feeling like the prime effects of like filmmakers haven't been able to work and that means like especially small yeah. filmmakers haven't been able to work because they don't have the ability to um, follow the COVID regulations quite as well as these bigger studios do. Um, so we kind of got a little bit of a dry spell I find. There are still a lot of really good things coming out and kind of pushing out to streaming but it almost feels like it almost felt like June 1st hit and then suddenly there was like five movies coming out every Friday. It was like yeah. suddenly rather mm-hmm. than like a spattering of things every month, it was like here's like five to ten new things that you can watch at any given moment. And it got very overwhelming very quickly. But uh, yeah, I think there's been some standouts. It's, yeah. it's only going to stay that way. As soon as theaters opened up, they started throwing theater movies back into theaters. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, a lot of stuff coming out. Art, what about you? Any any observations from the first half of this year so far? Uh, like Amanda said, just a lot of uh, what would have been delayed, slow rollouts, you know, with them not kn- knowing if it was going to go to theaters, if they are going to do streaming. Uh, but now that we're in the middle of summer, I think it's interesting how the fight is now, especially because it's the studios that own these streaming services. But you'll have stuff like uh, F9, Quiet Place, where it is strictly in theaters, you know, and they're going hmm. that model waiting the 45 to maybe three months to to have it be put on their respective streaming services but then you have stuff like black widow that is premiering in two places at once and it's what the second time that a studio has told us the numbers since trolls because they were (laughs) so effective you know they were able to cost a million dollar mark so i'm very curious how they're going to juggle all that because while all that is happening with the theatrical experience whether it should just be there which should be whether it should be simultaneous 
HBO Max and Amazon Prime, there was this one weekend where it was, are you going to go out to the theaters? Are you going to stay home for two movies, no sudden move from Soderbergh on HBO and mm-hmm. Amazon Prime's uh, The Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt that were mm-hmm. exclusive to streaming. It is now a fight of, nah, don't leave your house. Stay home and watch this. It is going to be a very interesting uh, kind of rollout as we see not mm-hmm. just movies coming out theatrically, but also the stuff that you will not be able to see in theaters. you got to be at home and how we just balance all that out. Um I'm loving yeah. it though. And how we just find time for all mm, of this content. That's the issue. <laughs> There's for me. so much that content. Too. It's like yeah, I forget how to watch movies. Like I used to just go and watch things and like my videos weren't Yo. as like long. But now it's like <laughs> so you can't keep up with everything. It's you not can't possible. Keep up. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, I think it's also a different experience when people have stuff in streaming as opposed to it being theatrical, not just in terms of like the way that the stuff gets advertised, but the fact that if you have it at home, we're able to nitpick it more. You know, I remember that being a big thing mm. for Wonder Woman 84. If this was only in mm-hmm. theaters, people would forget the nitpicks, but people have it at their disposal. That sounds to me like the content and the way filmmakers approach it needs to change now that we have mm. a more observant eye. Um but yeah, yeah. it's uh, I like you know HBO still doing their thing where it's a simultaneous yep. release. And I still think it's dope to be able to catch Conjuring Conjuring Three in the right. Heights, like Space Jam. Yeah. We're not recording this. Uh, we have, uh. None of us have seen Space Jam yet. But nonetheless, dude, it's a new yep. Space Jam movie coming out right around the corner. Reminiscence that uh, Zach and I were talking about the the new uh, Nolan and Lisa, Lisa Joy. Joy. That's coming out. That's going to be on HBO Max. Dune is still on HBO Max. So it's just. A crazy year. I am enjoying the fact that uh, we have this crazy release schedule and that you can watch theater movies in your own house. So, uh, I also think I just said Hugh blast. Jackson. It's Hugh Jackman. I know who, <laughs> I know Hugh Jackman's name. I just want to clarify who knows? there. Hugh Jackson's also maybe in there. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard the story of them of Tracy Morgan trying to say Hugh Jackman's name on the Thirty Rock set and saying Jack Human over and over? No. <laughs> no, I haven't heard. It's a funny story. Anyway, uh, we will get into the movies a little bit more in just a little bit. But first, make sure you're subscribed not just to the Intercut video podcast on YouTube.com slash Intercut Pod, but to the audio podcast as well, available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at Intercut Pod. That's at Intercut P-O-D, and that's short for podcast. We're also Intercut Pod on Patreon, where you can support the show for as little as $1 per month. So please go ahead and do that and also be sure to leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts that stuff really makes me happy when i get to see y'all do that anyway we should talk about the best movies of 2021 so far uh got a lot on our slate and a lot of honorable mentions art and i already did like a short video talking about some honorable honorable mentions but you know with with this year and the lack of maybe some of those bigger movies or those like auteurist movies i felt like i have my top six but between like seven and i don't know 25 are a bunch of movies that feel like honorable mentions to me Mm -hmm. there's a lot of honorable mention quality movies to me this year movies that i I i thought were really solid but maybe not that special Um, but movies that I liked quite a bit and I do want to uh, shout them out here I've already talked about Little Fish I've talked about uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. I, I really laughed a lot at that one. Yeah. Uh, Some Kind of Heaven, the documentary, really good. Solid. Dude. Also, another documentary, uh, Sparks Brothers, that we saw out of Sundance. 
Edgar Wright's latest, very mm-hmm. solid. Um, Assassin, which we've talked about on here. In the Heights, which we have a uh, after credits for. Forget, Pieces um, did, of a- did, did you see that? Theatrically? Oh yeah, the, the I famously yeah, have yeah. seen Broadway, uh, the Broadway version of In the Heights okay. twice. Actually, I saw it on Broadway. Okay. So yeah, but the movie's pretty good too. Uh, <laughs> Pieces of a Woman, White Lie, The Night of the Kings, the uh, mm. foreign film contender, uh, MLK FBI, another documentary, and of course Mitchell's Mercer's the Machines. I got in my honorable mentions. Amanda, what about you? Any honorable mentions? A uh, few from your list, but just to add on, uh, Werewolves Within, which I thought was yeah. a um, pretty fun um, horror comedy, definitely leaning more into the comedy side of things. Uh, I Very think good cast. fans of um, I Think You Should Leave would probably enjoy some <laughs> of the humor in this for sure. Uh, and Luca. I just thought Luca was really cute. Sometimes it's nice just to have a nice little cute animated movie that makes you feel good by the end of it. So, yeah, those are my those are my two. Great. Cool. Uh, I have a lot of similar ones as well. I would add I Carry You With Me, which is finally officially out. Mm. Uh, Sundance flick that we yeah. liked way back. Um, also, I don't know if this is on any of y'all's list. The World to Come we caught at Sundance this year. I oh, thought yeah. it had oh, right. I that. Yeah. two interesting performances and uh, some lines that we still quote. You taste like biscuits. Um, <laughs> Sophie Jones was a nice little independent drama as well as another one that I, I'll, I'll save for later. That? Yeah. yeah. Because uh, I think you guys may have it. I also have In the Heights right at the cusp of it. I think it is a fantastic mm-hmm. musical side. If the drama was just a little bit better, it'd be in the top ten for sure. Um, Our Friend, I thought was also a pretty solid drama based mm. off of a real-life story. Concrete Cowboy, also based off a real-life story over on Netflix. That was pretty solid as well. And, uh, yeah, I would also put Luca. And um, Mitchell's just barely makes the cut. Or, as an honorable, I guess, because it was not an honorable yeah, honorable, but I really animated. like Mitchell's. Yeah, yeah, the more and more that I watch Mitchell's, uh, the more I enjoy it. Yeah. Did y'all catch the trailer for Red Panda? That dropped today, no. the day we're recording. Red mm-hmm. Panda? What's that? What is that? The next Pixar movie from oh. the director of Bao. No, I didn't see is that. Is it Red Panda? Yeah. yeah. I have not seen it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. So, yeah, those are our honorable mentions. Bunch of good movies there, but why don't turning we get into red, our bro. list? I s- oh, it- Turning Red. Turning Red. You're right. I just want to pick some fan coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to turn you red. Yeah. <laughs> their, their animation style is getting a little bit more like cutesy and rounded mm. and like. I don't Dreamworks? know. It's, it's, we're going into a different era of Pixar. We're I feel definitely like. going into a different era of Pixar. They yeah. oversaturated one style, and now they're trying to reel it back after uh, they put themselves in a corner. But hey, we'll see. I think we have a lot of great animations on on the horizon now. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know when yeah. Leica's next movie is, but uh, DreamWorks has been coming in strong. Yeah. Sony's been coming in great, especially with that Netflix mm-hmm. deal. So animations don't joke right now. Yeah. I don't know if any of us have any animated movies in our top 10, but why don't we kick off our top 10? I started us off with TV, so I don't know, Amanda, would you uh, lead us off here? My number 10 is Mitchell's versus The Machines. There we go. Yeah, I I thought it was really cute, really well handled. Uh, Celine Sciamma is on Katie's uh, Mount Rushmore of Best Directors, so I was like, a win immediately. Basically, if you haven't caught it yet, tells the story of a family that kind of has some dysfunctional issues, especially between the daughter and the dad, and they kind of go on a trip, and as they're on this trip, the robots start taking over. It's a, you know, the scariest yeah. thing that could potentially happen. Classic yeah, family tale. Classic family tale. Uh, and they're the only people that can potentially uh, do anything about it, so it's got uh, a lot of 
story beats that I feel people can relate to. Uh, really uh, fun and relatable uh, lead character uh, out of Katie. Uh, I thought it was really nice, really heartwarming. It's just nice to, to mm-hmm, have agreed. something that feels good, but then you also get the message. You get more messages um, from it as well, so you feel like you're kind of getting something out of it while you're having a nice time. Perfect on Netflix. Very solid voice cast. I always like Abby Jacobson. Mm, Abby so. Yeah. And then all yeah. the Easter eggs that you Very can pause if you're at home. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I feel like any Phil, Phil Lord Chris Miller uh, produced movie is going to just be like packed with stuff. Yeah, and that is definitely a movie that's packed with stuff. In the beginning, he's been doing this since Twenty One Jump Street. He or Twenty Two. He coughs as soon as the logo comes. He goes. <coughs> so they were going to play this in theaters, and then they're like, "Well, good thing this is going to Netflix because if you play it as soon yeah. as the Netflix logo comes out, you'll hear. I think it's Chris Miller." <coughs> cough right at the beginning because it's supposed to make it seem like someone in the theater is coughing so yeah jam-packed can't do that now (laughs) maybe plays a little bit different in the COVID era but yeah anybody coughs in the theater now you're like oh bro yeah art what you got at number 10 my number 10 uh i had these two musical docs that were duking it out i had really enjoyed zappa from last year that uh i can't remember what festival i premiered on that really uh, talked about zappa and uh, not just his music career but what he did um, as a pioneer mm. for music rights but that billy eilish doc was one that i wish i caught in imax bro i really love the billy eilish doc it is the apple tv premiere um, it was the first thing that they came out with this year where they were like, hey, we still exist. Uh, we know we've been giving you <laughs> refunds for Apple TV. We kind of make movies. <laughs> we also make movies. I thought it was a fantastic documentary. Is is it long? It's so long it's kind of an intermission. But I thought that it did a great job of looking at her as an artist right before. You know, she hit it like super big. You know, what was mm-hmm. it, five Grammys big. Um, mm. And I thought it was a really good inside look. I, I know that the critiques for it could also be like, mm, I don't know, it's an Apple product uh, by, you know, an artist that a lot of people also think it's a plant and also was yeah. boosted by Apple. So it's not ironic that it's also an Apple thing. But you know what? Sometimes One when hand you feeds the, plants, the other. Sometimes when you wander the plants, they also come out really nice. And I think Billie Eilish yeah. is an artist that as much as she's definitely had a lot of corporate help um, as the the documentary also dissects seeing all these people that she needs to meet who she doesn't know who they are but they kind of like like a piece of meat she's out there having to say hi to everybody um Mm -hmm. you could call it a little manufactured here or there but i still think it's a raw look at her as an artist and uh just a a a precursor to this career that she's going to have because i mean even after this documentary the stuff that had been covered after her has already changed drastically so uh, i would highly recommend that i think it's also a really good creative look at two siblings uh who approach music Mm -hmm. in completely different ways but in a way that complements each other um so at number 10 the Billie eilish documentary over on apple tv yeah, and that footage of uh, Phineas and Billy working together is really some of the the best stuff in yep. that documentary because it's always cool to see somebody who is as renowned of an artist as they have become uh, see inside their creative process. And uh, you can really... It, I, I do like those moments in the documentary where you're watching a song evolve and you see her frustrations or creative frustrations, yeah. I think. Uh, they articulate some of the why they butt heads and what she wants to do. For anybody who's interested in the music she's put out, I think this is a really Beautiful. valuable uh, look at her her life and her career, or ambitions too. So, yeah, I agree with that pick. A good one at number 10. My number 10 slot is one that we caught 
on the first day of Sundance earlier this year is Prano Bailey Bond's movie Censor, uh, which I think came out recently in theaters, Mm -hmm. uh, about a film censor who sets out to solve a mystery from her past related to her sister's disappearance. I thought this was a pretty cool horror movie, very well stylized, that borrows a lot uh, it, it borrows a lot of elements from throwback horror, both uh, in Video terms nasties. of the way that it's telling its story and some of the visual affects that it takes. And I, I like um, I like in the way in which it becomes the sort of descent into madness, the sort of confuse, the confusing mixture of elements that drive our our protagonist a little bit crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Like the blurring of fiction and reality through the scope of filmmaking. Uh, it, it just is stuff that makes me really intrigued. And I, I just really enjoyed the presentation of it. That last 15 minutes or so are, are crazy and awesome. And just the kind of uh, pulpiness I want out of a horror movie like this. I haven't had a chance to revisit it, but it stuck with me from earlier this year. So I have censor at number 10. Okay, Amanda, what do you have at number nine? Uh, I feel like this is one that is probably not on many people or anyone's radar, but it was one I caught at Sundance last year, and it's called Blast Beat. Uh, right. Yeah, and yeah, and I really like this more than most people. Stop, stop laughing, Art. Stop laughing. The Aryan uh, Brothers. <laughs> yeah, it's the yeah. I liked it a lot. I'm a big fan of coming of age stories, um, so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I tend to be more favorable towards them in a lot of way. But uh, and I also like things that deal with music. So Blast Beat is about, essentially about uh, a family starring the the Arias brothers, Moises and Mateo, uh, uh, emigrating to um, America from Colombia. And uh, a lot of it is just kind of dealing with how they adjust to that. So like one of the brothers, um, who's his name is Carly in the movie, uh, has dreams of working for NASA. And this is his chance to actually mm-hmm. pursue some of these dreams. Whereas his younger brother, uh, oddly enough named Mateo, but played by Moises, uh, isn't adjusting so well, you know? Uh, he, he really didn't want to leave in the first place. He really resents being here, uh, and that's kind of affecting how he's um, living, and he almost kind of resents how well Carly is doing. Um, and it just, it's a kind of like, it gets really tender in, in times where it's dealing with this family trying to adjust and the struggles that they, they face as, as immigrants in America. Uh, I really liked it. I thought it was nice. Yeah. Wilmer's in it and the, Kali uh, Uchis. acting debut, I think, of Kali mm-hmm. Uchis, too. Yeah. 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 And uh, so. wait, the dad's uh, Wilder Val- Valderrama. Right? I, I uh, remember because yeah. we, nice. all, we all came out of it and we're like, does the math even Does the math add up? Is he old enough to be the dad? And the mom, too. We're talking the youngest looking parents of all time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Moises Aries, though we we talked about this, he's got Sundance prince. King aspirations. Mm-hmm. He's maybe he's a prince, maybe right a prince of Sundance. He's the prince yeah. right now. Prince of yeah. <laughs> cool. So cool pick there, Art. Let's get your number nine. Look, I gave you all smack last year for wanting to count Hamilton as something because it's not. But you know, I would argue that this one, while it is a special, is having a theatrical debut for one night only, and it is pushed <laughs> for Netflix as being what I would consider a production, a one-man production, all taking place inside. And I think it's also Bo Burnham's uh, probably best, uh, what would you call it? Well, I guess special. Special? Yeah, that he's done. Uh, I thought this was a, a really great look at him going back to his roots. Um, I just the way that people have embraced it or have seen uh, different interpretations of it or gravitated towards certain parts of the special, I think is really 
interesting. It's engaging as well. I am one who wishes that he went a little bit deeper. You know, if you go back and you watch the stuff that's on YouTube, completely different man. The rhymes that mm-hmm. he had back in the day are not rhymes that he would say today. Um, and there are points where he's kind of being more introspective on, on the stuff that, that he's done with his past. And, and I was I would have been more curious to see him get into that part of it. Uh, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. I think it's some of the best compositions that he's done. Because I don't really jam out to any of the previous ones. I don't think they're that like... Right. That there are jingles in here. Yeah, the, the music is usually serviceable, but it works to get the like songwriting... Yeah. Uh, on dis- lyricism on display, uh-huh. really. And I'm not saying that this, this is the, like a straight-up album, but is... the music is way better. Yeah. Like, there are some jingles in here yeah. that you can listen to. What are your favorites? <laughs> Jeffrey Bezos is kind of a gem. The internet one is still one of my favorite ones. I think that's yeah, captivating, that's the best song mesmerizing. The album, and then he's also got the one uh, where he plays guitar. Um, I think it's called Funny Feeling, but I know that that's what the, the, the chorus talks about. I really like that one as well. Mm-hmm. I know everybody gra- gra- gravitated towards white woman Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like people yeah. take it as more of a jab when he is actually being more introspective on not just influencer culture, but like just social media in general and how people use that to vent. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it comes off as cringy. Yeah. I would I would argue that you know a lot of the things that Bo Burnham is making fun of in the white woman Instagram song are things that he is saying that he's guilty of as, as well. well. And that's the thing is I feel a lot of people take the special and go like haha that's other people not me when it's like that's not even how he's approaching it. There's a lot more nuance towards everything that he does and I don't think a lot of people realize that it's more of a reflection also of yourself. But it's easier mm-hmm. to be like, ha yeah, I know the people who do like video game stream reaction stuff. Not mm-hmm. me though. And I'm like, I don't know. I think it's I think it's a much better special uh, on rewatches when you realize um, they're just kind of having everyone put a mirror at themselves. But uh, yeah, hey, Bo Burnham going back to his roots, and I loved it. Yeah, I think there's a lot to really, really like about the Bo Burnham special. You know, if we were doing top specials of the year, it'd be my number one. <laughs> uh, and I think it, a lot of people make uh, have made it about, like, this is what he did in response to COVID. But I think it, to talk about it in relation to COVID is only one part of it, because so much of it is just what it's like to to be isolated and to be on your phone or to be on the internet or to, to be looking at mm-hmm. the world from... A, a place of being isolated yep. being by yourself yeah. right like interacting only through screens and uh he he's something that he's definitely interested in it's something that is uh, an underlying theme in the film eighth grade as well but i really appreciate some of the observations he's making i, I think it's really sharp it's really funny it's oddly emotional in the way that a lot of Bo Burnham stuff gets there. It just, it's something that worked extremely well for me. And I, one of the weird criticisms I've seen about it is talking about the, the artifice of the special that like, Oh, well does Bo actually expect us to believe he lives in that one room? And I don't think he does. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, you know, just the same way, the way that the white woman's Instagram song is all these constructed backgrounds. He's constructing an, a, a space that is palatable for this kind of story that he's trying to tell. And I think it's it's verily, very masterfully crafted in a lot of ways. It's amazing that he's become such a good production designer on top of writer mm-hmm. and performer. That whole so, credit's yeah, just saying uh, Bo Burnham at the end. But yeah. I agree with you. I had the same criticism. Bit of a flex. But you're right, because uh, 
you don't really have to apply this to COVID. You could watch this 10, 20 years from now and just be like, oh, this is like some bit that he's doing where he's trapped inside. It's metaphorical mm-hmm. for, the, for the screen aspect. Exactly. Of it. And the context of he had given up live shows. So yeah. this is him, you know, really going back to when he used to make the videos on his own. Yeah. But. And that anxiety he speaks about is so, so much more prevalent than uh, just yeah. COVID, you know? So if Hamilton can be a movie, this is a movie. <laughs> one man create Although, a movie. <laughs> Although I don't know what this means for your movies versus special debate, but it did pick up a Emmy nomination for Outstanding Variety Special earlier today. Well, yeah. Bad Education was at the top of my list. That got some Emmy nominations. <laughs> so, I mean, I just think that all the awards are going to get amalgamated anyway. True, true. All right. Uh, we are at my number nine, and we're going to go back to Sundance, back to Sundance 2020, uh, and talk about Jansica Bravo's Zola, Zola. which okay. is finally out. Yeah. Uh, one of the most wild movies that we saw last year. Uh, just had an incredible sequence of apparently true events based on the Twitter thread. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not, I don't think it's the. Uh, most breezy comedy or whatever. Uh, and in many ways, it's almost more of like a horror movie than it is a comedy. But the buttons that Janzika is pushing throughout the movie are so uh, so so finely uh, crafted in the the uncomfort that they give you the the discomfort of the performance of these personalities. I think the movie has a lot to say about who these people think they are. Right, like not just who they are, but who they think they are, and uh, watching Taylor Page try and just navigate through this, seeing the craziness around her and interpreting it through her face, it's a really great performance. That's very understated. I think it's very easy to look at how funny and 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 transformative somebody like Riley Keough is yeah. and not respect how good Taylor Page is responding to that performance. Yeah, she's right? kind of like the, um, you know, like Jim in the office, like the, yeah, the audience the proxy man. where you're like, is this actually happening right now? Like what, what is like when, when she's like telling that story to her in the back seat, and she's just kind of like word, you know, like, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. like it's actually my um, number seven. So, Oh, very okay. cool. Yeah. So yeah. Biggest yeah. issue with it though Fizzled ending. I get uh, yeah. that they probably wanted to avoid some lawsuit stuff because the identity of the pimp is out there and he was arrested allegedly. And I'm guessing they didn't want to, because that's also the reason why they changed uh, Riley Keough character's name for the movie versus what her name was right. in real life. Yeah. So, but I'm like, they could have come up with something. They could have come up they with something to, to make it not ending. just this like, they need yeah. an ending. It yeah, fizzles. it's still need an ending. So but the editing, top notch. My yeah, opinion. I'm surprised Absolutely. they maintained the montage of Wang. Right? Yeah, that was we, one thing we, that I thought they were going to put emojis on top of things, but yeah. no. Nah. I thought they were going to circumcise yeah. that scene, and they did not. They kept it in the same glory. So, exactly. yeah, uh, the the ending is definitely something that I think maybe keeps this movie from going to another level for yeah. me. But at the same time, at having now sat with it for over a year, it's. The ending isn't the thing that sticks with me. It's the actual journey. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's why we got it here on our top ten lists. Sure. Yeah. All right. So we're at Amanda's number eight. Yeah. So my number eight is one that I know you don't like, Zach. Uh-oh. I care a lot. I mean, <laughs> I'm right in the middle, I bro. There's I some interesting put stuff going on there. <laughs> I could. I don't think I hate list. it as much as you hated Tenet. That's so fair. I don't know if this is full payback for last year. I don't think year. it's full payback. We'll, we'll maybe we'll get that down the road here in a second, but. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I I get that there's a lot of... It's one of those ones that's hard to talk about because there's weird discourse around it because some people I don't think always get 
nuance, even though the movie is very yeah. obvious about what it's telling you. But there are literally people being like, yes, queen, make that paper. And I'm like, that is your grandmother. That is your grandmother. That is That could be you in like 30 years. Just like... Mm-hmm. It's you're not supposed to be like looking at her as this like, oh, my God, like yeah. ideals. It's like, no, this is how like screwed up the world is. And like we're the people who watched Gone Girl and thought it was a love oh story. Oh, my God. That's what I mean. <laughs> it's part of like there's the it's the good for her cinematic universe that has like Gone Girl, this and Midsommar. And I'm like, for all different reasons, absolutely the fuck not. What is wrong with you? Yeah. But like, I liked it though. I thought it was good because it's one of those like really screwed up things. And I like the fact that it didn't shy away from pointing out that she's screwed up. Like, yeah, she has moments where she's a badass, but like by and large, you're like, you are a very screwed up person. And like, you do horrible things. And this is something that actually happens in, in the world. Like everybody thinks of like the families that just swoop in for like the inheritance at the end of the line. No, there are so many people trying to take advantage of them while they are still alive, while there are still people who care about them. Um, Cause I guess I didn't go over the premise. It's basically um, Rosamund Pike's character runs a, um, like a senior care thing where if you can't advocate for yourself and you don't have anybody who can be classified as your legal guardian, they take over that guardianship, but she's yeah. using it as like, I'm going to sell your house and take the profits and say that it's to... Exploit all of these exactly, seniors. Exactly, exploiting seniors as they're put into these facilities and controlling their lives and, and isolating them from whatever families they do have. And then she just happens to pick the wrong one one day. So One day. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. I know also like this one. I did. See, so I was one where I, yeah. I sat with the movie and I was like, it frustrated me. It did everything. Rosamund Pike's uh, performance was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the dude from Birds of Prey? He comes in. He plays the lawyer. That scene was... Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Christmas scene. That's was a very so good, good scene. Killed it. Yeah. And my only problem was that I had problems with the script. So in looking into the script to be like, ah, these problems, the, the problems didn't go away. They became more apparent. But I also find other, mm-hmm. found other stuff in the script that I really enjoyed. So it's my most conflicted movie of the year. So I'm glad that he okay. doesn't like it, that you like it. So then I get to be properly in the middle and be like, all right, yeah. so that I'm not. There you go. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to And I don't even want to say I... Yeah. yeah, I don't even want to say I fully dislike it because I like a lot of the things that the movie is doing. Yeah. The, the the thing that ultimately got to me with it is that I, and, and this is such a boring criticism <laughs> too, so I hate to say it, is like I had like a likability problem with a lot of these characters. And that like I, 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 don't think I was struggling with like, who am I following? Who do I care about? But well, it's that's, that's a boring criticism. No, he's, so he makes a great point thing. though because they do a lot yeah. of fake sympathy with her. It's like, why? Just have yeah. her go fully in. But there are moments where she's trying, yes. to, she's trying to justify what that's she's fair. doing. It's like, but why? At no point in Wolf of Wall Street does he justify what he's doing. He just yes. does it. Yeah. And uh, I know that that was a big reference to it. And that was the points in the script where I was like, just cut that out. Don't have any but of that. She, just have her fully she, go in. But isn't she kind of justifying it in a way that, like, she knows it's bullshit? How so? And, and I don't know if the well, movie maybe, maybe put a fine yeah, enough point on that. Or, like, maybe or, I'm thinking of a different part or something. But anytime someone's like, you are a horrible person taking advantage of my family. She's like, no, like, I'm the only person who was willing to step up in this situation. Yeah. And then she delivers a couple of those like girl boss monologues that I think you're meant to to see through. Yeah, and but, but some people aren't. That that is exactly why I'm yeah. like, you guys have to stop simping for this person just because she's rich and yeah. has a hot girlfriend. Like you need to chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we live in the world of Joker, American Psycho. Let yeah. the, the the women want their own. Yeah, like uh, let it. Like I'm down for it. I'm she, down for these. Like she's been killing these roles anyway, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let her be this unhinged, like horrible person where Absolutely. people feel conflicted about being like, but you're really killing it, Queen. 
And then you heard how she, like, every time she wins an award, she puts it in her garden and she digs it. <laughs> every time Pike wins an award, she goes and she plants it in her garden. And I was like, you're really living these characters. I'm just going to Yeah, there's a like reason. That. Yeah, oh my God. Well, so. well suited for these parts. <laughs> all, right, all right, we're at your number eight. I think I had said this in our honorable, honorable mentions. You asked me if there was any more animated movies, and I technically would consider this an animated movie. And it okay. starts stars Aiza, who was also in uh, I Care A Lot. I'm sorry, but I loved Godzilla v. Kong. Godzilla vs. Kong gave me everything that I wanted okay. in a Godzilla vs. Kong movie. Y'all want different results on this battle? Wait another 60 years. Some people yeah. thought that Godzilla was going to, like, I don't know, twist his ankle, get a McGregor in there and lose. No. This was a movie that was a complete CGI fest because that's exactly what they offered it to be. Um, I wish I had the chance to catch this in IMAX. Uh, this was, again, with the HBO rollout, and I believe it's about to come back as well. Um... Out of all the movies that we've gotten, I would still say that the first Godzilla, if you adjust your expectations and forget that the movie's called Godzilla and he's only in it for 15 minutes, um, that is a fantastic movie that focused so much on the humans. And then little by little, we started focusing less on the humans. And we're finally at that Mm -hmm. point where I still wish they got rid of half of the humans, like Millie Bobby Brown and her dad. But they were focusing in more on these two characters. I am excited to see where they're going to take this. I know the Toho contract is up, but there are some rumors out there that it may go in different directions. I loved everything that this gave us. I, again, wish mm-hmm. that I would I was able to see it in IMAX, especially the Navy Pier IMAX before they shut that down. Is it dumb? Guys, it's a giant monkey <laughs> and a lizard fighting. Well, look, it, tell me. Is it dumb? This is the first one of these recent movies to be like, yes, it it's is dumb. dumb. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We love you know? that. I didn't um, even watch it. I I don't like watch big it. dumb monster movies, so I knew my demographic. Like, what was the point of watching? But what if it's bigger like it. and dumber than anything you've ever seen before? I've already dealt with Fallen Kingdom. I don't need more. <laughs> if a hey, is better than Fallen Kingdom, I loved it. I'm, I thought it was great. That's not difficult. <laughs> and the and the and the fights delivered, in my opinion. I'm a big Godzilla v Kong fan, and Adam Wingard. Um, look. I know he pisses off people with every new project that he gets. I know he pissed off people with Death Note. I know he pissed off people with... What was the other one that he did? Oh, I hated Blair Witch. Um, Oh, Blair Witch, yeah. Blair Witch, there's another one too. Hey, he ticked off some people in this one, but not this one right here. I loved it. Uh, (laughs) My number eight, I'm loud and proud of Godzilla v. Kong. That's my blockbuster of the year so far. Hell yeah. Awesome. All right, well, let's go from... uh, one piece of trash to another. Uh, my number eight is Bad Trip, the Eric Andre prank hey, movie with Tiffany Haddish and Lil Ray How Lil Ray Howery. Uh, yeah, I, this is gonna be a lot for some people. Yeah, I tapped it, out. Eric Andre's comedy is a lot, and it's it's sometimes hard to literally stomach what he's doing, but. Somewhere along the way during the Bad Trip movie, I became really won over and just it warmed my heart in this way I really wasn't expecting. Because the thing about watching watching his humor for long enough is that you kind of realize how how nice and empathetic a lot of people are. (laughs) Like he's just putting himself through the absolute most absurd situations, things that no regular human would want to deal with and over and over again these sweet people are like well but how can i help you and just watching these people try to navigate a situation that just just like every 
person's worst nightmare. It just you, you never want a complete stranger to ask for your help in a precarious situation. But those buttons that he pushes throughout I just really tickled me. There's several sequences where I just the the ways that people responded are so authentic and funny. Yeah, yeah none of the scripted stuff in this movie works at all. <laughs> sure. But <laughs> The, the production of it is actually pretty impressive, the way that they're able to, to sneak in, like, kind of dramatized bits into a prank show setup. It's pretty funny. Uh, I, I don't know. I laughed a lot, probably more than I did at any other movie this year, so I got to put it on the list. Bad trip, number eight. It's like the reverse Borat. Instead of calling out people, yeah, they're actually there trying to help you. It's just so mean. Exactly, bro. exactly. Yeah, so I, uh, I think Sasha Baron Cohen, there, this was like in an LA Times piece. He talked to Eric Andre and was like, my comedy uh, highlights the, the hypocrisy of a well-meaning person, but your comedy shows the empathy of people. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. That's true. Yeah, that's the best way I could put it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amanda, um, my seven, your number seven Zola, was so. Zola, so we already talked about that. All right, number seven. All right, so I have White Lie at here uh, at this point. I know that mm. I talked about it a lot last year, though, but I, I figured, I guess, Good now it's its official release, you know, because a lot of it was festivals. I thought it was kind of out, but, you know, the way that everything was released theatrically. Um, so I'm going to double it up white lie a thriller that i talked about a lot last year where a girl pretends that she has cancer in order to yeah. be able to dupe everybody and has to hide one white lie with another white lie with another white lie fantastic i think it's on tubi or hoopla right now for free but i'm gonna i'm just sprinkling an extra one here did happily go ahead so did that really only i like i swear that was playing on tv here in 2020 is it because it's canadian that we got it first or something i swear it might be that's what i thought okay but because there. of that oh, you have it yeah. because mm-hmm. of that I'm going to add Happily instead. This one is a 2021 release that I know it's not going to be for everybody because it approaches its subject matter in a very, I don't even want to say goofy way, but in a very obviously satirical way. Uh, You pretty much have Mm -hmm. this couple who everybody hates. They don't even want to invite them to the group outing Mm -hmm. because these, like, they're still doing it. Like, what, 10, 15 years? Like, they're just too happy with each other. Nobody wants they just to love each other it. too much. Yeah, they have like zero percent uh, body fat on them. They have the perfect jobs, the perfect house. They're chiseled as can be, uh, and nobody wants to be around them. And it ends up being this movie that uh, it's like you're, you're thinking it's going to be an alien movie. You're thinking it's going to be a comedy. You're thinking it's going to be a satire, and then they just blend them all together. It is very uneven. Mm-hmm. I know it's not going to work for a lot of people, but I ended up really enjoying the second half of the movie where it ends up becoming. Um, a situation comedy. They wanted to just find a way to stick all of these couples into one scenario so that then they can all uh, kind of call each other out for the little nuances that we see in, uh, I guess, in a friend group. Uh, who are the ones that uh, kind of ruin it for the others? Who's the one who's hiding a secret? Who's the one who they feel a certain way about but they never really vocalize it? Everybody knows <laughs> this one thing mm-hmm. about a person, but no one will actually say it out loud. And uh, I thought once they get to that situational... Um, scene where they're all calling each other out uh i really enjoyed it and i i don't know much of this director's other works but i did I get a copy of the movie feature film debut hmm. well i got a copy of the movie i'm still sitting on the director's commentary and i want to get a little bit deeper into this one because again it's difficult to recommend it because you'll be watching it being like this is too goofy this is like where is this going um mm-hmm. but i think there's a lot more heart in there even if it fakes things to get it into that uh <laughs> into that scenario but I liked it. Happily. Yeah, 
it's a really interesting movie happily and i i agree with you you know i i like a lot of what it's doing i think overall it feels like a like it's a good movie but the, right. the the tone is all over the place and it doesn't i don't know if it ever fully coalesces but there's a lot of cool things happening so yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely worth a watch both that and white lie mm-hmm. uh which i liked quite white a bit lie last year so for for sure yeah i'll uh, i like both those recommendations uh, my number seven is a documentary I first caught last year at the New York Film Festival, uh, and it's one that its approach has really stuck with me. It's the Monopoly mm. on Violence, uh, mm. a film that tackles uh, police brutality from the French perspective because uh, they're dealing with their own issues surrounding uh, over the the hyper-violence of police uh, forces in their own country. The really interesting thing that the director, David Dufresne, does here is that in reviewing a lot of the footage, he has the commenters, the talking heads in this movie, not just look at the footage and discuss it, but they're sitting opposite somebody who oftentimes doesn't share their perspective. So rather than this person just telling you their opinion on the state of police or whether or not police violence is justified under certain scenarios, you have these people really trying to get at the core issues, going back and forth and talking about specific clips. Uh, more than more uh, more than that, David Dufresne is also showing you what these areas look like, and then he brings you back to what these uh, places look like when they aren't overcrowded with protesters and police forces. It's just a really great documentary in terms of providing context and providing counter arguments and really giving you a full picture. And you know, I don't really feel like the documentary is overly biased i feel like if somebody would come into this documentary with a differing viewpoint from my own they might have completely different takeaways from it but what is shown is so riveting and shot often shocking i i think it's maybe the best uh look at you know what happens when police are are enabled to basically have their own power uh, have whatever powers for force they want so I really like this one. I think it's available to rent now. Check out the Monopoly on Violence. I have to. Let's take a super quick break from the podcast to thank our producer-level patrons over on patreon.com slash intercutpod. They are Cademan, D.A. Zapata, Ewan, Antushar, and of course, the producer, Awkward. Thank you so much for your support of the show. Okay, back to the podcast. We are at Amanda's number six. Okay, everyone's going to hate me, but I don't care. Uh I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. I can't help it. Is it too long? Yes. Is it a little bit mad? Yes. It's fucking Cruella. (laughs) Bro, A, it ain't right. I I like the stone. It was fun. That's what I mean. This was the most fun I've had watching a movie this year. And like my next five movies... Actually, there's one that's not remotely sad, but like there's a bunch of depressing things coming up. This was fun. And when I'm comparing it to some of the other action movies I've seen in theaters this year that I've been kind of like, oh, it was fun. This is like upper tier of that fun level. I didn't even see it in theaters and I would have watched it again in theaters because I thought it was a great time. I really love Emma Stone in this. Like, yes, uh, Emma Thompson's character is basically just Miranda Priestly from The Devil Wears Prada, but a little bit more comedic 
in her delivery. I had a really good time. I didn't think it had any business being as good as it was. It had good music. It had great outfits, a lot of fun style. Uh, It's probably one of the only live action Disney movies I like. So it's my number six. I had fun. It might be my favorite of the Disney live action it's movies, now that I think of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not hard to beat, bro. Script it's from Tony hard. McNamara, directed by Craig Gillespie. Dude, Craig Gillespie is insane. Uh, there has never been a, uh, uh, a filmography from a director. I go, there's no way this is the same person. <laughs> there's no way this is the same person. You look <laughs> no at this stuff. You, how's the man go from I, Tanya to, to this? Uh, some of the other stuff that he did even... Oh, he did Lars, right? Lars yep. and the Real Girl. But he's like done it. some other stuff in between where you look at it. He did that one with uh, the the track stars. It was another Disney movie. You're like, this man, there is no, I don't know what he's going to do next. You, when, <laughs> when his next project gets announced, he's like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> there is there is like no rhyme or reason sometimes. But I think that's why this movie works so much is because he's mm-hmm. such a, you know, not really by the books dude. Um, but they give him a massive budget. You know what so. else Kirk Gillespie has done? He's director of uh, Physical. Oh, there you go. I know we did Fright Night. Yo, that's Rose Byrne. Damn, that's why it's so there good then, go. <laughs> bro. Yeah, there you go. Damn, he's just good at what he does. All right. Well, again, my problems with Cruella is that it's a kids movie and that should not be a kids movie. <laughs> and they're retroactively doing some stuff in that movie. Uh, in physical, it works so much better than yeah. Yeah. I like Damn. It. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, Cruella at number six. What about you, Art? Well, we're at number six. I had to. Pieces of a Woman. Vanessa Kirby absolutely kills it. It's a story based off the director and the writer's own personal life uh, and their struggles that they went through when they were having a child. And uh, just that 30-minute sequence in the beginning that's completely uncut. Fantastic filmmaking. Scored herself all the way up to uh, the the nominations. And uh, I personally really enjoyed it. Not just the... The fact of what she's going through um, after the incident happens when she's having a child, um, not just in her relationship with her partner. It's great to see uh, uh, Eliza, right, the uh, stand-up comedian who's even had her own movie on Netflix right yeah, now, Slushinger. come in and do mm-hmm. a dramatic role. Thought she did a fantastic job with it. We had a uh, mm-hmm. one of the one of the brothers Betty was in Safdie. this. Yeah, Safdie yeah. brother was in this, but then also just the relationship between her and her mom, and um, mm. the way that the movie tells that story—not just with their their dialogue scenes, but just this whole like bridge motif that you're seeing throughout the movie—I thought it was fantastic. And um, I would this one was an honorable mention last year if we were counting it, but it came out this year, and considering we're halfway through the year, it does make it up on the list. So uh, yeah, I have to good. go. Pieces of a Woman. Yeah, that's an extremely moving movie, and especially Solid, that dude. opening sequence is, is maybe the most glued to a screen that I've been at any movie this year. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's a really solid pick. Catch uh, on Netflix. Cornel Mondrusco, the director, he's got another movie that just played in Cannes, so he's, Did he? he's yeah. staying busy. Yeah, uh, Evolution nice. he played at Cannes a couple cool. days ago. Right. So That's why. Awesome. All right, my number six is Shiva Baby, a movie that we will definitely talk about more. We've already talked about it a lot on the Intercut podcast, but we will talk about it more soon. Amanda, what is your number five? Uh, My number five is The Father. I, cool. what did I say? I got that too. Yeah, I said this and then I saw that like when I went to go log it on Letterboxd, somebody else had basically said the same thing. But it was, I said that uh, Christopher Nolan wishes he could fuck with time this effectively um, <laughs> because this is essentially the story of uh, someone who is suffering through uh, the effects of Alzheimer's and dementia. 
And mm-hmm. uh, rather than being told from the perspective of the family, which we do still get, we get to see how hard it is on the loved ones. Um, we are being told the story from the perspective of the person suffering through it. So we have things that are jumping faces swapping um minutes and moments changing things going back in time because they're just not lining up the way that his brain is perceiving it and we're along for that ride uh, it's very heartbreaking mm. uh and um just really beautiful at the same time a very hard watch and something that affects so many different people uh it's definitely worth all of the oscar hype that it got absolutely mm-hmm. Um, and that thing that you talk about showing it from the perspective of the person who's going through uh, the Alzheimer's diagnosis, I mm-hmm. think is so, so uh, effective mm-hmm. here because you there's it's hardly the first movie to try and chronicle uh, somebody's grappling with a brain disease. You know, still Alice obviously is a pretty famous one. Mm-hmm. But I think why this movie is so much more effective to me is it really gives you that sense of. Of, of losing your bearings, yeah. of not being able to s- tell what's what, what's the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's extremely dramatically effective. Um, so Flor- Florian Zeller's movie, I have that at number three on my list. It's, uh, I-, I think, one of the most affecting movies I saw all year. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Hopkins's performance is really amazing. I mean, he's an actor who, whenever he shows up, he- people say he's amazing, but this is a particularly great performance, even for him. Mm-hmm. So... Can't say enough about it, and uh, I'm just curious what, what else Florian Zeller is going to give us. His next movie is already lined up. Sony Pictures already acquired. It's called The Sun. I don't know if he has the Holy Ghost in his chamber or something like that, but yeah, cool stuff. All right, all right you're number five. I got a tie here, guys. Quo Fi Ida, I believe is how you pronounce it, on Hulu. Yeah. And Dear Comrades, also on Hulu. One of these got a nomination. Quo Two of the. Ida. Uh, Dear yeah. Comrade should have scored a nomination as well as well as the Cinematography Award. Um, both of these are dealing with like pretty traumatic subjects, uh, both dealing with mothers, both dealing with uh, women who are uh, responsible for... Um, uh, they, they have a sort of position while uh, a lot of you know troops are coming in and there's a lot of chaos that's happening throughout the town. And it's the kind of the dichotomy between trying to figure out how to help everybody who's there while also their own personal life that they're juggling, especially in Dear Comrades when one of them is missing a daughter. They're both heavy watches, but like I said, they're both streaming right now. Um, they're both fantastic movies, two dramas that will... <sighs> I, I can't even say which one's better because overall, mm-hmm. I think Dear Comrades is the better movie. But the ending... To either is like, it reminds you like, hey, this story isn't just like something that happened in the past. Remember this. Um, so hmm. they're, they're, they're both really great dramas that I think everyone should have on their, on their watch list. I've heard really incredible things about both of these movies, particularly Quo Vadis Ida. Uh, so... I, yeah, I think the only reason I haven't caught either is I'm, it just you know, seems like they're both a lot. That's it. But mm. yeah. So it's like put it on your uh, but watch they're, list. They're but they're on ready. my list. I think they're both on Hulu too, so they're pretty easy to catch if you got Unless the Hulu you do live subscription. In Canada or anywhere else in the world that is in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talking to my Americans out there for that one. All right, my number five is Gunda, the black and white documentary from Viktor Kosakovsky. The uh, very beautifully filmed. You know, this is like if Lubezki brought his camera out to the farm and tried to get all that natural lighting and then, you know, put it in black and white. It's just immaculately shot in the way in which it gets just kind of daily life for an animal on the farm. 
and I think something that talented filmmakers do uh, can do at least is really help evoke the personality of an animal through cinema. It's something that you know, even if it can't audibly communicate with you, you you get a sense of who who they are and how they function through the actions that are depicted here and. I, there's so many just lasting images from this from this documentary the 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 way in which you kind of you know uh, uh grow up alongside some of these piglets in a way that it feels like you're you're watching a coming of age story at times it, it's such a beautifully put together piece of documentary with one of the most devastating endings to a documentary I've seen, like up there on Dear Zachary levels of like, oh, I just somebody stabbed me in my heart. It's slow, uh, but it's 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 worth it. It's a slow moving of, of film for sure. I mean, something that's an hour and a half long with absolutely no dialogue is bound to be or score. But the imagery is top notch. One of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Nice. So Gunda number five. Watch it tonight, Amanda. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, maybe not if you want to continue eating like bacon. Yeah, maybe later. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> so that's my number Amanda. four now. Uh, yeah. I'm going with the killing of two lovers. Um, this is like yeah. this is not going to be for everybody. This is a very slow burn family drama uh, about. Um, but it's also it feels like a thriller especially the way it's scored it's scored with those like very striking strings to kind of display how he's feeling internally where, where it's not always reflecting outside because he's trying to hold it together is essentially uh, somebody who's going through a separation uh, they've agreed that they're able to see other people but he's really not okay with that arrangement especially when the wife is the one who who's dating uh, and mm-hmm. the way this movie starts it's just like so insane, honestly, especially to where it ends and you kind of see what, what kind of happens and how it transpires and goes through. But um, it's really, really well shot. It's one of those movies that stays with you, even if it doesn't seem like a lot's necessarily going on. This is just really a, a solid look at this person's um, kind of psyche and trying to hold it together, trying to be a good father, trying to be the fun father. Uh, and uh, then try to get his wife back too and still be seen as like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm chill, everything's cool, but then when things don't go the way he's expecting, he, he cracks, he breaks in a lot of different ways, and I thought it was really effective, like really, really effective movie. It's going to be higher on my list right now too. Hell yeah. <laughs> so I doubled that. Yeah, this is... Nice. I feel bad because Art was telling me to watch this for a oh, while now, buddy. so I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to VOD this tonight mm. then. It's good. Yep. All right, we're at Arts number four, I believe. Been a, been a minute since I uh, put this one on top of my list. Sundance 2020 in person. One of the first mm. screenings I saw. Identifying features. Out mm. virtually at yeah. the beginning of this year. One of my favorites. I hope uh, and wish good things for the director and the cast of this. Uh, Going to be a slow burn for a lot of people. I even say a lot of bokeh shots. Too many bokeh shots. But it is a journey of this mother who's trying to go find her son after he has crossed the states. And um, it's a slow journey. But what it builds up to? Nah, like, number three. What do I got? Number four. Uh, th- this is a standout to me. It was at the top of my list last year. But to a degree, technically, it would be this year because now it's got its official release. I know it's a super, mm. super small drama, international as well, that didn't get a lot of recognition. But um, it did win. 
the World Dramatic at Sundance, and this was one that I was hoping to see uh, at least more in the uh, awards rounds. And I think the the only thing I picked up was some some of the Gotham's. So um, I personally yeah. really love this it, one. I think I, I wonder how much it's momentum was undercut by last year just having been a surprisingly excellent year for Mexican cinema because there were like four or five standout movies that came out of Mexico last year and maybe it just got got lost in the shuffle a little but yeah excellent movie I know a critic that we like quite a bit Carlos Aguilar is another big uh, proponent of this movie too so yeah identifying features killer ending so put that one on your radar my number four is Judas and the Black Messiah. We will get into that, I'm sure. Amanda, what's your number three? My number three is Judas and the Black Messiah. I actually just bumped something around. Um, I love it. I think it's great. Um, I did have the unfortunate bad luck of watching this with my parents, who uh, didn't like it as much as they probably could have, just because it's, I don't know, they they like, they're still very, I don't know. They really liked, my. I think my dad liked it more than my mom. Um, I think my mom had, I don't know, somebody, I heard somebody say, and this might have been her issue, that some of the cuts actually seemed too fast, and I didn't notice it the first time I watched it, mm-hmm. but I noticed it the sec- time, second time I watched it, that some things did okay. feel like they were cutting around too much. But we will save it for when we're talking about it with art, but I really love this movie. It, we saw it, we all saw it at South By, and it was one of those ones that we like all instantly Sundance. just Sundance. went. We, Sundance, sorry, Sundance. And we all instantly wanted too to go back festivals. and rewatch it. I ordered the book uh, on Fred, Fred Hampton's mm-hmm. life. Um, really, really effective uh, and it's it's one of those ones that's swirling around in my top three, so it could comfortably fit in any spot. One of the highest compliments you can give a movie is that it makes you want to take deep dives afterwards, mm-hmm. and this is definitely one of those films where like you watch it and then it's immediately like I, I need to I need more yeah. of something. And that's what it was. Yeah. I was just like I really want. I've never learned about this. I had no idea this happened, and I want to know more. Yeah. All right. What do you have at number three? My number three is a documentary, also from Sundance. Um, it's a good festival. Uh, the next three are all from Sundance. All light everywhere. Now, to preface yeah. this, right. I got two that documentaries that should that should still be on people's radar. Uh, I love them, but they would have been just the cuff. These probably would have been like 11, 12. The Dissident and Assassins. Crazy double feature that will have the FBI knocking on your door. Um, <laughs> this one, they will not lock, knock on your door. They will be going through your surveillance. <laughs> all light everywhere is a movie... Um, how would you describe it, Zach? Because it's like... I mean, it, it's both a documentary and almost like a deconstruction of the thing it's documenting, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Because it's like a documentary that's about surveillance, but it's almost like, well, what does even the idea of surveillance, surveillance even mean? What does it mean to surveil? How yeah. biased can you make something that you're trying to make sure doesn't have a bias Yeah. to a degree as is well? Is a camera a camera or is a camera a personality? Yeah. <laughs> I really like this movie, dude. Uh, number it's three. Good. Yeah. It, 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 during the fest, they kept typing up this dude, Theo James, Theo James, Theo James. And I was like, dude, why, why do they care so much about Theo James? Man, at the end of the festival, they had me going. I, I want a Theo James shirt. Zach and I uh, yeah. have not caught his first film, Rat Pack, right? Rat film? Rat film. Mm. But he's got this ESPN 30 for 30 film that pretty much deconstructs. Uh, this is really big if you're into sports. Obviously, uh, NFL goes through this all the time. Uh, the MLB, you know, in the last decade had a really big shift between not just trusting the empires, but taking it over to New York to see uh, what a call would be. And in this particular thing, he's covering this uh, system that is used in tennis to identify whether the ball is out or not. Yeah. 
And that's a perfect Wimbledon just ended. If you've, if you've ever seen those like eagle eyes mm. where they zoom in and show you the little dot where the ball landed. Yep. Yeah, it's it, the short film is called Subject to Review, by the way. That is a perfect uh, just, you know, appetizer to what All Light Everywhere is. I absolutely love this movie. Um, yeah. I, I'm very curious to see what very other people uh, take from it. I know that it may be a slower doc for some, but I, I thought that it really gets into the heart of a lot of, the, a lot of the subject matter that it's covering. And just the way that he goes about approaching people is so interesting because it's not just people who don't want to have discussions with him. It's people who you're surprised even allowed him to come in and look through things. And you realize it's because they don't think they're doing anything wrong. We're at a point where he's just like showcasing, like, yeah, this is this is the, the yep. devices that we mm-hmm. use, and it, they're they're meant to do this. And he's like, they're meant. What else are they meant to do? And they just break it down for him <laughs> because business is business. And uh, no, I absolutely love that. I, I love the way that he approaches documentaries. And uh, I'm, I'm about to get like, I think it's topic. I'm about to get a topic subscription just to go see Rat Film. Um, he is he's nice. a documentarian that is on my list. Yeah, he, he his style is so unique. Uh, you know, you kind of right away get a sense that he's not doing the typical documentary thing. And I think it, it, it's so, uh, it's so immediately, rev- it's so immediately um, obvious that he's working on a very high level that it made me want to see everything he's ever done. Yes, so sir. I can't recommend subject to review highly enough. And I'm sure we'll talk about rat film when we uh, get a, we'll chance get a chance to get that topic subscription. <laughs> anyway, your number three was all light everywhere. It's a great pick. I forgot that had come out. Same. My number three is the father, which we talked about when Amanda brought that one up. So we're back to Amanda for her number two. Uh, my number two is definitely an unpopular pick. It's not going to be for everyone. And the beginning is super rough for it. And most people probably haven't seen it because I think it really only released in the UK so far. But it's Dinner in America. It was another Sundance pick from That's 2020. Yep. It's my movie. It's just like, I, I again, I've mentioned this before. Baby. You know, I like mm-hmm. coming of age type stuff, even though it's not fully one of those. And I like stuff that infuses like punk and metal music, which it absolutely does in this. It's very, it's so weird to have a movie that is simultaneously so cute and tender and so aggressively, just like violently aggressive and in your face. Uh, and it mm-hmm. manages to juggle it really well. Um, I don't even necessarily know how to describe this movie, but it, it's essentially um, the Kyle Gallner's character uh, is, is basically on the run from the police and ends up running into this very awkward, quirky girl uh, who realizes that, uh, you know, she, well, she doesn't realize, but he realizes that she's actually like a huge fan of his band persona that no one knows who it is because he's always wearing a mask. Right. Uh, and the two just kind of go on this journey where he helps her kind of like learn to stand up for herself and be okay with the fact that she's super, super weird uh, and that they mm-hmm. kind of like work on, on this really odd level. And I really, I really loved it. I think it's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. A punk rock coming of age. It story. is. It's cute. I like it. I'm a little surprised that that film hasn't really gotten a better release. It seems like it's caught in some limbo. I don't, I don't know what its distributors. Arrow right is, now, so. I know, and it got picked up in the UK. It did a few runs there, and Arrow Films is distributing it and made a Blu-ray for it. And they do like Ooh, quite. Like they usually yeah. do. Yeah, they do um, like Arrow? the Mallrats yeah. release. Yeah, they're solid. So I don't know why it's not getting like U.S. distribution and stuff yet, but mm, it's it's good. It's at least mean, it's alive in the water so far. Yeah. And if they've got those Blu-rays, then you could probably get them here. Even yeah, you just uh, got to get a player that can, yeah. They got to the put it on too. streaming, dude. That's a movie yeah, that people that's a, will find by accident movie. on streaming and fall in love yeah, with. Yeah, people have already right sent me messages yep. saying they checked it out after my recommendations and that they've loved it, but like they wouldn't have known about it otherwise. Mm-hmm. So. 
Cool. Dinner of Amer- in America. Hopefully that one gets like its full official release soon. Uh, but Art, what is your number three? Two. 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 Killing of Two Lovers. It is mm. marriage story, there we go. but not in New York or L.A., but in the middle of America, in bum who knows what place, a town that is dying as their relationship is dying. Mm. The kids are the director's kids. There's no reason they should be that good at acting. Everything is scripted. I swore some of it was improv. The music that Amanda was talking about sounds like the muffler in your car is like about to fall off. And then you realize that the composer is also the sound designer. And he took sounds from around the town as well as the things around this man's um, broken life. So his car radiator is literally the soundtrack mm-hmm. to the movie. That's why it sounds the way it does. It's, yeah, it's so like creaking. eerie. Great, 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 great. Yeah. It, it's all the sounds of everything in his life that's falling apart as it's falling apart right in front of you. Incredible performances. Uh, again, uh, comparing it to Marriage Story, but not with all the razzle-dazzle of hiring lawyers, but how, what it's really yeah. like for just, for just a couple who's got kids trying to survive or pretend to survive. Um, I found it to be a fantastic movie. Uh, that stuck with me this entire time. Zach, I don't know why you haven't watched it. Uh, I hope more people are able to give it the chance. I know it's really depressing, and I know a lot of people aren't going to want to, like, you know, sit with a movie (laughs) that's as uh, as eerie as this, but I thought it was one of the standouts that I wish I was able to catch uh, when it had premiered at Sundance, but even catching the the VOD at one of the festivals floored me. Absolutely uh, incredible independent film that's out there, and it's my number two so far of the year, Killing of Two Lovers. You know, I just wish when they sent us screener links that those wouldn't expire. If they don't you know? expire? Yeah. No reason for them to expire, I agree. Right. Anyway, I'll get around to Killing of Two Lovers. I've got uh, two high recommendations on that one now. As for my number two, it's Test Pattern, mm. the Shatara Michelle Ford film. She wrote and directed this one. It's been bouncing around a lot of film festivals, but finally had a small release earlier this year. And I was really, really taken with this movie, uh, a film that's an interesting mix of a couple different things. There's a little bit of like a, a mute, cute relationship thing happening uh, between the Brittany S. Hall character and the Will ha- Hall character. Uh, Will Brill character in the beginning, and then it gets into this uh, more thorny uh, sexual assault situation and the the trauma of experiencing that, and ultimately kind of settles into this really really interesting uh, type of like uh, you know process movie where it goes through the. Uh, frustrating and often humiliating process of uh, trying to seek out medical care for an intimate issue and the way in which you go through this couple as they they try to do what is like ostensibly the right thing but aren't really met with a lot of kindness from the world around them i think it's a very beautifully put together movie it just sort of like the everyday struggles that that get in our way um I think it's extremely well acted and there's a lot of moments that are just very elegantly put together. There's a whole sequence to, uh, what is it? The song from the, the dance of the sugar Foam players in the night, nightcracker that I think works so well in terms of it, demonstrating the mundanity and the, the just crushing nature of you know, hospital entry forms. Uh, I don't know. I, I think there's so much to like about this movie. It's for me, this is my, uh, 
never early, sometimes always of this year, and just like oh, the intimacy drama that works so well. So I, I hope more people get around to watching Test Pattern. It's, it's definitely one of my favorites from this I'm year. I'm excited to yeah. see it. I think I saw some intercuties shouting it out too. So that's good. Good on you if you got mm-hmm. around to it. Yeah, that's definitely on the honorable mentions. I just I figured you would have it somewhere on the list. It's solid. Yeah, it's yeah. on my yeah. must watch. I just haven't gotten to it yet. So yeah. So I got test pattern at number two, but it's time for the number ones. Amanda, kick us Shiva off. Shiva Baby. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. It's also a movie that let me know how much I've grown as a film viewer because I don't handle anxiety well. And I managed to watch <laughs> this whole thing. Wow. I love it. It is a tender yet anxiety ridden chaotic tale of a... Uh, young girl who goes to a shiva and she is dealing with all of the typical questions that you receive from family and family friends as they're all congregated in this one area for a funeral and um it's you know you're always trying to play the like oh you know like i've got some job interviews lined up everything's good but then while this is happening they all know you're lying you're also getting upshone by your ex-girlfriend who is kind of throwing it in your face a little bit she's a little bitter that you've been ignoring her and then your sugar daddy shows up with his wife and baby (laughs) and it is just beautiful and chaotic and so relatable in some way or another because i feel like we've all dealt with that like uncertainty especially doing what we do people being like so like what are you doing are you okay like do you want the you do need 50 it's your birthday here's 50 dollars like you know stuff like that i'll take it um it just take it and uh the uncertainty that kind of comes from that and just like the stress of dealing with those types of questions and then just like the stress of dealing with exes and trying to figure out your place in the world very specifically and really not knowing what you're doing and it just it, it ends very perfectly i love the ending it's beautiful uh, i love this movie so much so much and they got the series it's up on hbo right now for those who need to stream it uh bet the series will also be on hbo so Good a lot them. more shiva baby content do you know if it's the same <laughs> yeah, I mean, cast i mean I rachel is definitely attached so i would see, assume i really want to see i need molly gordon back in that because she's so good in this they they are always posting Instagram stories they together, are. the three of them specifically. So yeah, her insul- so, yeah, and yes. I would imagine. I also, Molly is one of the funniest actresses out right now. She's when you so funny. At, bro, it's not just Shiva. She was Booksmart. in uh, one of my favorite. Yeah, Booksmart, but she was also in Good Boys. Nah, like she's. Yes. She has not had a miss. She's so <laughs> she good. Is killing love her. It. So mm-hmm. shout out to her because she's, she's one of the best right now. Yeah, love Molly Gordon. Yeah. I, I think that Shiva Baby excels in a way that I don't know if I've ever ever seen a movie get in just really uh, selling that awkwardness of the family interaction and how sometimes being at a family function can feel like its own form of being trapped somewhere. Because <laughs> yeah. like you really you have to go, you have to stay for a little while, but you're you're forced into all these things you really, really don't want to do. Yeah. And being able to elevate what is essentially a pretty like mundane scenario to that level of like cringe inducing anxiety yeah. is a is a high art really well acted really well written mm-hmm. i like this one a lot and i'm definitely curious what else we're going to get from uh emma I can't believe she was only in like the future five like that's how old she is yeah. right now i can't believe it yeah oh my God. and there's a short for this out as well so yep yep so amanda's number one is shiva baby art what is your number one of the year so far 
Sia's music. Uh, I thought that the duality of what she really had with her characters in there and the just the dichotomy of motherhood was uh, really profound. Um, and I saw that alongside Judas and the Black Messiah, which is easily would have been my number one movie of last year. Caught it this year. It was the one movie mm. at Sundance where I thought, dope. They went virtual. It's very nice. But I, I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen them. And then I saw it. And it premiered. Mm-hmm. And you get a four-hour window. And you get to play it back-to-back. And I played yep. this once through. I skipped whatever other screening that I had that night. And I played it back. Because I didn't want to give it five stars unless I had seen it twice. And I knew. And I knew. This is an absolutely incredible movie. I think a lot of the criticisms that are held against it. Like, obviously, you know, subjective. Um, but nowhere does it say it's a biography. <laughs> in the no. title right. it's Judas and the Black Messiah hell the Academy doesn't even know who the lead of this movie is but it yeah. has some of the most incredible performances and I love its approach uh, because as soon as I was watching I was like this feels like a flip on The Departed yeah. and the Lucas yeah. Brothers yeah. who I was like the Lucas Brothers, the comedian twins wrote this script with that in mind and I think you see it uh, in play a lot, if you grew up with mobster movies I'm watching The Sopranos right now, right? leading up mm-hmm. to the prequel Let's just say that in mobster movies, um, there is an aspect of them that gets pretty dark, right? This takes that and flips it on its head and goes, nah, the parts that get dismissed in Italian mobster movies, we're going to flip on its head. And I think it does it in such a profound way uh, and in a way that also really gets into its characters, especially when you start dealing with um, not only real life footage, um, but like Amanda said, you watch this movie and that's what should get you invested into learning more about this person um i think uh just the way that they worked with the family themselves uh Mm -hmm. his son was actually out and about doing a lot of um press for the movie uh yeah and i just think all around not just with lakeith and with um uh dominique killed it in the movie she was as well. so good yeah she's like the glue you know, that mm-hmm. keeps it together too, she like. is literally mm-hmm. the glue so uh i just thought it was a, a profound movie it's one of my favorites and um i can't wait to buy whatever 4k that they have out there because right now mm. it is back on hbo and they have a buttload of conversations and behind the scenes and stuff that i highly recommend getting into because i think this deserves to be uh, i thought it was an instant classic the moment i finished watching it and i still mm. feel that to this yeah and mm-hmm. uh, i think it's my favorite movie for the rest of the year Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. Absolutely announces director Shaka King as a name to pay attention to whatever work he's going to put out next. Makes me want to go back and catch Newlyweeds, his first movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I I like it a lot. Like you were saying, it's so cool that they were able to couch this historical drama within the structure of an uh, undercover cop drama or like a mob drama Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, and it's you know to it has all this resonance yet it has that propulsion of a Hollywood thriller and that rarely is the case for something that is so set in reality is about such someone so true so interesting whose life was uh, such a great true story and I get that a lot of people have criticisms of the movie because it doesn't focus more on like the life of Fred Hampton but that criticism in particular strikes me as a criticism of what this movie isn't, not what this movie is. Yeah. And, then those and what be- this movie is, I think it does extremely successful. Yeah, because it's, it's again, called Judas. Yeah, don't judge a movie Judas on something else. The Plus, the lead actor yeah. in this movie, Jesse Plemons, did fantastic as well. Just the way that he weaved himself into scenes was, 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 was done really... Uh, yeah. it, it had me at the edge of my seat. A lot of the, yeah. the speeches that they had that they were going... 
had me fired up. There have been yeah. many movies that try to approach the emotions that this movie has, and they utterly, utterly fail. This Great. movie did it in every way, shape, or form. Uh, obviously, he took home the Oscar for it, uh, and it's one that I'm going to have till the end of the year. So that's my number one. Love it. Zach. Yeah. Well, so Judas and the Black Messiah is your number one. It was my number four. I think Amanda had a number three. So that is a high recommendation from all of us. Uh, But getting into my number one of the year, it's a movie that I've been recommending uh, for a little bit now. It's one that I first caught in New York Film Festival last year. It's one that uh, our guy, Alfonso Cuaron, has kind of put his stamp on and Mm. said, yes, I approve. This one's good. Go watch this guy's stuff. It's Chaitanya Time Hanhe's The Disciple, the Indian film uh, about an aspiring classical musician and his trials and tribulations in terms of learning the art form. And I think it's just such a brilliant movie at capturing the struggle of creating art, and particularly in creating uh, exceptional art, right? In that I think people like us who really love... Uh, who love this stuff, there's this idea that if you work hard and you really pursue it and you learn all you can, that you will achieve the things that you dream of. And I think what's great about a movie like The Disciple is it really articulates the ways in which that's just not true and how these things aren't, uh, they aren't mm-hmm. math. They're, they're art. You can't just add a couple things up to get yourself to a great career. There's all these things that happen along the way and all these frustrations. And, you know, maybe you, you can't live your life thinking of it as a religion, right? Uh, I kind of feel like anybody who wants to pursue something in the anything. creative fields should watch this movie. It's on my list. I just haven't had a chance to catch it right? yet. It's just, it's so, so good. Um, it, it's, you know... A, Art and I were talking about how everybody wants to compare this movie to Whiplash, and in many ways, it, while it is like a slow burn Whiplash, it's also the opposite of Whiplash mm. because it. I, I love the way in which it really shows just how how devotion can change your relationship to a subject, and uh, it's it's brilliant, man. I, I thought it. I think it's a really beautifully constructed movie. Uh, I've gone back and watched it a couple times now. Just it's so absorbing in its way. There's something hypnotizing too about the music mm-hmm. and, and the way that they use the music to score these more pensive moments. So I, I think it's a really amazingly constructed film from uh, a filmmaker who we're probably going to be paying attention to for a while. Yes, his last movie was also brilliant. So yeah, it's on Netflix. It's readily available. Please check out okay. The Disciple, my favorite film of the year so far. I didn't realize it was on Netflix, otherwise I would have watched it already. Almost no one did. <laughs> Netflix barely realizes it on it's on Netflix. They won't recommend it to people. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it all. They have they have such a gem and they're just not talking about it. But yeah, that's what happens when you have movies every day showing up on your platform. That's when you I have guess. to market see- Emily in Paris. That's what happens. Did you see that yeah. Ice Road movie with Liam Neeson? Bro, that that was fire, man. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's it's either that or the cycle. Yeah. You gotta choose, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so those are our favorite movies of 2021 so far. Let us know in the comments below what your favorite movies are, if we missed anything, and maybe what some of your favorites from our lists are. But that's all for this show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at ZShevich. Amanda, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and all sorts of other places, at Amanda the Jedi. Art? 
You can find me at LME Explain around a bunch of the interwebs, social media, YouTube, all that stuff. And you can find me every week here talking movies and all a bunch streaming specials, whatever the new form is going to be. Once we have VR storytelling, that as well here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher, I Like Overcast, and then make sure you're listening not just to the audio podcast, but the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the podcast every Monday, and please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. Shout out to our listeners in Nigeria for putting us on the TV and film podcast charts out there. Like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. All of them are at intercutpod to get updates throughout the week from Art, from Amanda, from me, and from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, for whatever reason, movies were always there for me.